This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Let us be aware that while they preach the supremacy of the state, declare its omnipotence over individual man, and predict its eventual domination of all peoples on the earth, they are the focus of evil in the modern world. But if history teaches anything, it teaches that simple-minded appeasement or wishful thinking about our adversaries is folly. It means the betrayal of our past, the squandering of our freedom. So I urge you to speak out against those who would place the United States in a position of military and moral inferiority. You know, I've always believed that old screw tape reserved his best efforts for those of you in the church. So in your discussions of the nuclear freeze proposals, I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation of blithely uh, declaring yourselves above it all and label both sides equally at fault, to ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil. Hi there, football fans. It's National Pro Highlights time again. And look at that snow. Hmm. Join me for a trip around the circuit for all the big National Football League games. The most exciting new development on the American sports scene came to life in 1960 with the birth of the American Football League. Down and beside him, Woo! Hey everybody, welcome to the 55 yard line. It is full color football here live from Japan. Uh, this is, uh, unfortunately, Scott is not with me today to on this show due to the juggling of time zones and Scott's got stuff going on. It's evening over the, over in the States and everything. Um, but I am here. It's our, it's the, the last time we had a, a show was about 10 months ago with Mike Hogan with, with the Argonauts and my apologies. Cause a lot of the, the reason for the delay is not Scott. It's has been with me. Um, after March, I ended up retiring from my job and moved over to Japan where I am now fully settled in and basically a new studio. It took a long time to get here. And um, I am sitting here with Keegan Dresso, the author of the book, Gridiron Cup, 1982. Keegan, thanks for joining me, man. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And, um, you know, I read your book last year when I was in DC um, on, a, on a little vacation. And, um, you know, I, I do this other podcast called Gridiron Japan. And it just, when I read your book, it was like, man, this is, this is what international, this is what our, our favorite sport should be. It should be the world sport. And when I stumbled across your book, I mean, I read it, it's, it's available 
on Amazon. If you have Kindle Unlimited, if you subscribe to that, like I do, um, you know it. You know you can. Re it's 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 a great read. It's instant download. So um, let me ask you now. You are a former head coach over in Denmark, and tell first of all, tell me how you tell me about your football career, and then we'll get into your writing career. Then we're going to get into the book. Um, and how everything kind of came to be where, you know, obviously your experiences in Europe shaped, um, definitely shaped, uh, shaped this book. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I'll kind of start from the beginning and it all kind of ties in, but, um, yeah, so I started playing football when I was, uh, in fifth grade, Pop Warner, um, and coincidentally, that's about the same time, you know, I didn't, I didn't have cable at first when I was growing up, but around that time we, we got access to it and, um, they had the, uh, you know, ESPN classic, I think it was called the, the classic sports network back then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I, I thought it was so cool as I was getting into playing football myself and, um, you know, seeing like, you know, 1972 Nebraska versus Oklahoma or something, and they're running the wishbone and, you know, or, or Houston running the split back veer. And it was just so different from everything you'd see, um, you know, on television, on, uh, in the NFL or in college at the time. Um, the same time starting to play football, I, I just got so into it. You know, I, I think I could still find in my, uh, in my parents' house, the piece of paper that I saved my helmet stickers on and put down our depth chart. And I, you know, I just, I love that feeling of sort of not knowing who we were about to play against. And, uh, you know, hearing a little tidbit, like, you know, they've, they've got a great running back. You got to really, you know, tackle them low or they hit hard or whatever. And then you sort of see them get off the bus and, you know, have that anticipation and, and, uh, and get to go and play. Um, so I, so that, that's kind of where it started for me. Um, you know, I, my, my family is very into sports. My, my dad is a native San Franciscan. He was really into uh, the 49ers and, uh, and Cal, um, so, uh, and I also, I also had some coaches, some of my first coaches had played at Cal growing up, who I really looked up to. Um, so, yeah, I had that background. Um, so I played four years of Pop Warner, went, played four years of high school, and then I played four years at uh, Pomona College, which is a Division three school in Southern California. Um, and I would say the whole time, I mean, I, I, I liked playing, obviously. Um, I played a bunch of different positions, not on the line, but um, most of the other skill positions, really, at one time or another. Um, and then I, I always had an eye on coaching. I always loved the strategy and, uh, you know, and, and watching a great offensive play unfold. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think I, I got the same feeling that some people do from looking at a painting or something. Uh, <laughs> As, yeah, as, uh, I, I, I can understand. Sound. Yeah, I'm the same way with football. You know, you, yeah, you, you see that, uh, you know, that inside trap hit, you know, the old uh, Nebraska, you know, they'd hand it off to the fullback and he just burst through the line. And uh, I don't know, something about it always appealed to me. So I had the coaching in the back of my mind. Uh, I did coach, you know, I volunteered coming back during college to help out of the high school a few times. Uh, Right after I finished college, I, uh, I substitute taught for a little bit and coached at the local high school um, for a season. Um, after a year, I started law school. Um, so that would have been 2007. And uh, part of what plays into <laughs> the whole story is 
can think of the years between 2007 and 2010, you know, starting law school in 2007, things looked pretty bright, finishing in 2010, not so bright. Um, but, but anyways, in, in between there, I, um, I wanted to, uh, study abroad, you know, take advantage of a semester abroad. There was a few programs and I chose to, uh, study in Copenhagen. Um, and that's where I started dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, who is Danish. Um, so anyways, so I, uh, I finished, uh, law school, not very good job prospects, um, and I think in that semester when I was studying over there, and I wasn't really even aware of the of the football teams over there at the time, but I think just something about being over there. And I also visited uh, Russia at that time, uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, you know, and, and when would the World Cup have been back then? But I think that's really when I got the idea of like, you know, this would be so cool if this was an international thing, you know, with real competitiveness. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and I, I've got nothing against soccer, um, but even, you know, when you see the final of the World Cup, it's obviously great, highly skilled, super competitive, all of that. But, you know, the winner is like the most skilled team. It's not really that, you know, physical domination that you right. would get that really you would only get from a few sports. Um, so that's part of where it came from. Um I came back, uh, I, I worked sort of odd legal jobs trying to get my legal career going. Um, but at the same time, you know, I wasn't working full time. Uh, I just started writing this book, you know, like okay. towards the end of the day, if I had nothing to do, I started writing this book. And, it, and it's funny the direction it takes you because, you know, I'm, I was not an author, um, no training in, in writing books. So I just thought to myself, I'm going to write this thing so that it would appeal to me. And I was kind of thinking, you know, there's got to be people out there who kind of, you know, feel the same way. And as it went, it sort of like got more detailed and more detailed and more detailed. And I, I'm not sure I intended it to be that detailed when I, when I first uh, started writing it, but that's sort of the direction it went, you know? And, and, um, but, you know, on the back of my head, I was thinking, um, okay, you know, people, there's going to be people like me out there who are, who are interested in it. And if they're not, that's fine. Um, yeah. so, so then, you know, I'm looking for jobs, looking for jobs. And, um, my wife is also, uh, an attorney and she had a good job in Denmark. So actually just applying for different jobs and I applied for football coaching jobs over there. And I, that was sort of like, as odd as it sounds, my first job out of, uh, out of law school was, you know, I went over there and uh, interviewed and got the head coaching job for, as you mentioned, and um, I can't pronounce the name still, but the <laughs> Avador Monarchs, I'll just say it the way it sounds to us. Very, very difficult pronunciation. I'm not going to uh, insult uh, a bunch of people who will, if they ever listen to this, they'll surely be laughing at me for my attempts at pronouncing it. Um, in which, in which league are they in? Which league? I mean, cause Europe has so many different leagues, which, um, which league were they yeah. in at the time? So they're in the, the Danish American Football Federation. Um, okay. Danish league. And, and this, you know, it all really does play into the book because, uh, so I think the book was completed by then, but I, I was still editing it. I got to look back to when I actually first published it. But, uh, you know, it's just like you hear the sort of like histories of the 
players and stuff. And it's not all on, you know, it's not digitized yet. And um, right. like my team was, you know, five or six years before had been kind of this great powerhouse team and then got kind of old and, you know, some people shifted to another team. So they merged with another team and then that kind of fell apart. And uh, so then it was back to the old team and that's sort of when I took over and trying to sort of keep it afloat. Um, I think they had, they had played nine man football a year before, or a couple years before. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, yeah. So, so anyways, um, sort of in between that time and, and I, I published my, so I'd reached out to uh, publishers about this book and it kind of became clear that this was not something that the mainstream agents or, or publishing houses would be interested in. So I, I wrote my other book at a time when I was not allowed to work in Denmark because we were doing uh, family reunification. And, um, and I decided I would test out the water self-publishing that book. So that's where uh, the offensive football systems came, came into play. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's where I started my, uh, my, my coaching career there. Um, and yeah, we started our family there. I coached four years there. It was a great experience. Um, getting a little off track, off track from the book, but, um, Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But there, there are so many influences, you know, that, that went into it. Um, as you can probably tell from the book and just wanting to sort of, it's, I almost feel like it was a sales job. Like this really could have happened, you know, and everyone really can play this sport. And there's a ton of Easter eggs in there, of, you know, different, different players who came from those countries and, you know, imagining if they had been on those teams and uh, right. So kind of why I started with that uh, description of watching like ESPN classic. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, that's the great thing about football. You know, you can, you can have the team that's sort of smaller and slower and they come out and they're just great at running, you know, the split back veer or, or maybe they're, um, you know, BYU back in the day and, uh, and running, you know, the Lavelle Edwards passing game, which turned into the air raid and that gave me the advantage. And the big one that I was kind of influenced by in the nineties was Nebraska. And I, you know, I was not a huge Nebraska fan per se, but I was just, they were so interesting to me from just, their offensive execution, sort of this complex run game, this program that was beating everyone, and you know, they're kind of not in a recruiting hotbed and, and how did they do it? And having played myself, I was aware they were sort of pioneers of weightlifting. And um, yeah, I was good. I was just going to say, I, I mean, oh, the, the, the Soviet team, you know, now that mm-hmm. we're talking, having this conversation, now I get, now I understand where that inspiration came from. Right. Yeah. For the Soviet team. Yeah. yeah that, no, I, I that's see what it, I was but, thinking. That would be the fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, and, and the other, the thing of what we're not, I'm not going to, we're not going to give away the ending of the book, but we can at least start <laughs> with the beginning of the book and the beginning right. of the book starts off. You had me hooked right away when <laughs> I saw the word, I saw the name Burt Bell. I'm like, Mm-hmm. Oh my God, this is something, and I'm, I'm friends with Upton Bell, his son, former GM of the, oh, wow. of, of the, of the, um, of the New England Patriots, former owner in the world football league. And, you know, a, one of, to me, one of the key members of the 60, you know, those sixties Colts, um, he worked in the mm-hmm. front office and I mean, Upton is a huge part. He's, he's a living link to our, our football past. 
And so when I read this, I'm like, oh my God, this is, I could, now I could, once, once I saw this was the idea of Burt Bell and your story, I'm like, you literally, you had me hooked the entire story because <laughs> of the innovations Burt Bell came up with. Basically, modern football that we have now is, to, if you ask me, and I think if you ask a lot of people in the Sports History Network, um, without Burt Bell, we wouldn't have football like we have it now. It would be different, might be better, it, it might be, you know, but Burt Bell is the reason why football pro football is a religion in america you know you know from the the draft from tv you name it 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 all goes back to then so when reading the story so it starts and if you don't mind me you know kind of laying the groundwork um go ahead it starts off (laughs) you know you start off right after world war ii and what i picked up on was your key i mean not just so much American football history, but history in general, what was going on in Europe during that time period. And, you know, how, I mean, it's very plausible that in another, in another universe, this could happen, at least from my perspective, it, it, it's all plausible. And then you add the whole Joseph Stalin part on it. Yeah, I you know that it just and it just kind of flows from there. So how did how did when we were writing the book? How much time did you spend in the library looking at looking at history books? Not just so much of football, but of what was going on during those time periods. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I, there was quite a bit of research that went into it, definitely, and um, I did as much as I could try to do that research. And, um, in some cases, you know, for some of the teams, like, um, the Canadian team, I I think it's all real people, you know, it's all real stories, but as much as possible, try to link, um, stories to the historical figures and the way that I think they could have, or would have behaved in those situations. Right. Um, so I, cause I know, you know, and so how much did I actually put it? I mean, some of this stuff is just because I, I'd sort of been into it my whole life, you know, I sort of, had an idea of the way those early sports went around and barnstormed. Um, you know, I talk a lot about barnstorming and some of that's influenced by the stories you hear about baseball, you know, in the turn mm-hmm. of the century, you know, had all these barnstorming teams, you know, popularizing the game. Um, and then, you know, the Stalin piece, I, I, I feel like that was obviously it's an essential part of the story because it's this uh, showdown between the, the two superpowers and, the reason that it influenced me or that made me think it, it would be plausible is that, you know, this really did happen with the Olympic sports. I mean, mm-hmm. with China and the Soviet union and East Germany, it's very well known the way they did it. They had super regimented systems. They had, they took talented kids basically and trained them in those systems, you know, and for the Olympics. And I mean, I haven't looked at the medal counts recently, but I, the Soviet Union was dominant, really. And they, they have a vast geographic, uh, you know, territory. They were great in, you know, track and field, great in, uh, you know, weightlifting, things that would be conducive to football. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are aware of the basketball history back and forth. Obviously, America, you know, generally won, and there's some controversy in the Soviet Union one, but you know, basically they could compete toe to toe, even though they were, you know, lesser. So I I think, and I think just 
the the fact that this sport is the as we talked about earlier the one where you can really establish physical dominance you know right um and that's the part where i thought like okay like think about if the soviet union with with all and also just the physical training like i was touching on earlier a lot of the plyometrics and and different things that started coming into uh you know real life american football in the 60s 70s 80s that nebraska took advantage of and was sort of at the forefront of those things came from the soviet union you know Mm -hmm. so i i mean they really were on the forefront and you know so, so that's where it came from um they were a great athletic nation and uh you know, I, I feel like maybe there could have been an alternate universe right now. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, uh, when I was reading your book, I think at the same time I was, I think on season two of For All Mankind on Apple Plus TV. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Okay, so I the have plot, not seen it. okay, so here's the premise there, and so it, it why it it remind why your book reminds me so much of it. What if the Soviets would have landed on the moon first? Mm. And they do this, your book does the same thing they do in that show, takes that and then kind of extrapolates out where Mm -hmm. this, how this could have gone. And so, you know, when I'm reading your book, it's like, yeah, yeah, I could, (laughs) you know, I mean, the NFL in your book, the NFL is still the NFL, but the the Soviet Union and, you know, your book is titled Gridiron cup whoops sorry that had a uh one of my speakers turned off (laughs) um but the title of your book is gridiron cup 1982 so it takes us up through and the the hot really the cold war was at its hottest Mm -hmm. that that was at, at one of the hot points during the cold war in fact before i was uh before you and i talked i was grabbing some clips uh for the intro for this show that I, I thought were very pertinent. It, it has to do with the Cold War. And so, I mean, you, you, all the elements, I mean, I grew up during the Cold War. So, I mean, I'm reading this going, yeah, yeah, that, that, I, that, that sounds about, I mean, the 70s, you know, it was, it was a constant battle of, you know, the space race was over, but it was a constant battle. Then it turned into the, you know, the athletic fields in terms of where the competition Mm -hmm. was. So, and um, yeah, but then there were the other, it's not so much just the United States and the Soviet Union, but it's also the other countries. Now living in Japan, and this is, goes to a conversation you and I were having right before we hit the record, hit record button. Your your book kind of gives a template for how, in the world that we live in now, football, mm-hmm. football. I mean, football does American football does have a World Cup, and I'm using air quotes on that. But it's right. a competition that's been on hold for a long time. It's usually dominated by the mm-hmm. U.S. However, other mm-hmm. countries during these competitions have kind of stepped up their game and i'll use japan as an example during even though yep. the the japanese the x-league lost a couple uh was it a week ago now god i'm losing track of time but the x-league all-stars in japan played the ivy league all-stars and you know japan lost but it was a close game and so when i'm right. reading reading there i'm like yeah i mean football is american football gridiron football and i 
I think it's, you know, when people call it American football, I like calling it gridiron football because it just, you know, it, 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 you know, American football just makes it sound like it's just an extension of the American empire. And that's just, that's just right, me living right. in another country and um, me living in another country and just thinking, you know what, it's gridiron football. It's, it's just, it's, <laughs> you know, it's um, so, but with your experience over in Europe and everything, you've seen the talent level of your of, mm-hmm. of people in Europe. Um in your opinion, and where are we at? You know, I don't know if you how much you still follow like the the European leagues right now, but I mean, mm-hmm. have you followed the international competitions over the years with with the uh, with the uh, you know with teams in Europe and with teams in in Asia and that? Yeah, I have followed the the competitions, and um, I mean, part of that is is why I sort of you know. I, not to give too many spoilers away, but I did try to choose countries that did well in this fictionalized version as real countries that are embracing the sport or words. That's, that's one of the reasons why Japan does well, because I know in these international competitions, they always do well. Um, You know, Japan, Mexico, um, Germany, Austria have, have very strong teams. Um, So I I have followed them, but I would say um, more than those competitions, uh, I, I follow the talent that's out there. I found that interesting. I think there's yeah. a lot of untapped talent. Um, you know, and, and part of it, it's, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about the challenges of sort of establishing uh, football abroad, you know, I would say the biggest one is just money because it's an expensive sport to play. And, right. you know, the, the infrastructure for the equipment uh, we don't think about it as a, as a, as an expensive sport in America because it's all linked to the high schools, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, a kid going to a public high school can just play, but it's decoupled over there. Uh, so, you know, you don't have the athletic teams that are linked to the high schools, as far as I'm aware. Um, and so what, what happens is getting around to the point why I think the, the talent uh, portion is interesting is, you get guys that start playing often very talented players, but they're 17 or 18 already. So, and sometimes they're 23, you know, and that sort of takes them out of like the potential for getting into the American system. But um, a couple other comments, what, what happens is with a lot of them is they'll maybe start playing with their 14 when they're 14, 13, 15, something like that. They'll realize they really love it and they think they have potential and they'll go for a year to the U S to play at a high school. Some of those guys become pretty big recruits and they're, you know, there's uh, one player who my team never played against, but he was in the youth leagues when I was there. um, Yalte Froholt. And he did that became a a big recruit chose Arkansas. And um, you know, he's had a, you know, five or six year NFL career. Um, I, I saw you starting some games for the Browns this year. Um, another guy we did play against a lot ended up at Eastern Michigan. I think he was a top two pick in the CFL draft. Um, okay. So, yeah. But the, the, the part that interests me, and I, I think it's so untapped, I, I think the college teams are becoming more in tune to it. I see every year some Swedish guys, some Austrians, some Germans um, are getting scholarships. I'll, I'll, let me give you this scenario. Um, 
give me a kid that's just going to end up naturally. He's going to be six five, two seventy, just a big offensive lineman, framed guy. Um, now, would you want him starting by Pop Warner football at eight years old and start the whole way, or would you want him to start to not play that and to be in this soccer crazy world up until he's fourteen or fifteen and then pick up football? That's what you're getting in Europe. And what I've noticed is the people, you know, there's a lot of big people there. For whatever reason, I think they're a little bigger on the average. Uh, you know, if you look at the average heights. And that soccer background, I, I, I found, just my personal observations, gives a, a level of explosiveness and coordination that's really beneficial. That's why mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit untapped. Um, now, it's up for debate. Obviously, start playing football uh, focus on football from age of eight. It's got a lot of benefits too. You know, you're going to have all yeah. the fundamentals down and everything, but that's what you get over there is these guys who don't have that much experience. They might be 16 or 17. They played for a few years. They've got, you know, the build. Um, they've got the explosiveness and the coordination from that soccer background because they all play soccer. Um, and then it's a question of, do they get noticed? You know, in some cases, do they have the money to take that year in America? Um, and and what situation do they land in? Um, but no, I, I definitely think over there, there's uh, there's room, and I think some people have started to set it up for the the international combines to get to get those players noticed because there is a lot of talent over there. Well, that's and, what uh, I was gonna that's what I was gonna ask you. And you know, the NFL is. I was watching the other night. It was actually on the very subject we're talking about about you know expanding the sport. And do you think, well, do you think the NFL, I don't think it's a question of if, but when, but when the NFL kind of goes all in on Europe this time around, Mm -hmm. because we know what happened with the last time around, which was from a, from a business standpoint was a complete utter failure with NF with first, first off with the world league of American football and then NFL Europe, um, and then when Goodell came into into power, he pulled the plug. And that was one of the first things he did was pull the plug because it was such right. a money losing. What do you think it's going to take for the sport? And we're just going to use Europe because logistically, mm-hmm. I mean, over here in Japan, I mean, that's a whole other world. I mean, literally a whole other world away in terms of logistics and, and getting people to play. Uh, the NFL is not going to come over here other than for maybe, maybe an exhibition game, but over in Europe, right. they're talking about expanding the league, having a European division. What do you see? Let's say 10 years. Do you see the NFL realistically pulling it off? I I think it's realistic. What my recommendation would be is to think outside of just the, you know, think outside of just placing in London, Paris, Barcelona, um, London. Yes. But I, I think they should think long and hard about really figuring out where the passionate fans are. Um, which in my experience, the places, you know, London, that's going to work because you know, it's, it's a big pop. They know they've had the games over there. There's a following, there's money. Um, you know, Germany and Austria, as I said before, those are the ones to my knowledge that, you know, their leagues that they've had, they get pretty good fans. You know, they pay players. It's a high level of play. It's got a good following. You know, you put something in Austria, which may not be the most, you know, the first thing you'd think of, but 
get a team in Austria, that's going to draw all the fans from Central Europe who want to watch the mm-hmm. NFL. Um, and then Germany, you know, Berlin is obvious, but you put something a little further north and maybe Hamburg, then, you, you know, that's sort of Scandinavia or Northern Europe, you know. Um, right. People will come to those games because it's not – it, it's not it's not close to soccer you know it's it's a fringe sport but they do show the nfl on television there are right. very dedicated fans that will follow it um but so I, I don't know i haven't done the studies there are you know there's competitive leagues in uh in italy and and spain and france as well so maybe that would make sense but right i feel like the goal should not just be like let's find you know, France's version of Wembley stadium and just put it in that big stadium, you know, and maybe at first it works out well, but you know, if, if the population is really not as into it, I'm not sure how long it lasts. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe those, they right. just have the populations that are big enough and enough people are into it. But I would think, you know, let's get a, one of the, they've got, of course, the great uh, soccer stadiums over there. Get one of these ones that sits 35,000 people fill that up yeah. every time. You know, have, I get a great atmosphere. And uh, have you have you followed the, the sixty thousand and half world? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Have you followed the elf at all? I have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I haven't talked to anyone. I don't know anyone who's affiliated with it to know the impact. My impression is that you know it, it caused uh, quite a stir because it's actually teams breaking away from their. Right. Um, you know, national division and stuff, but yeah, I know, I know they've adopted some of the, um, some of the old, uh, NFL Europe teams, uh, team names and, um, you know, Jim Tom Sula is the coach over there now. I know that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, that'd be great, you know, and maybe that's the way to do it. Um, to, to start, you know, getting that sort of grassroots, uh, getting people interested that way and uh, right. hopefully it grows from there. Well, and I'm just thinking here, and again, I'm just I'm um, thinking just here, you know, off the off the top of my head. But really, without the NFL behind anything gridiron related, gridiron football, whether it be here in Japan, whether it be in Europe, is always going to kind of remain a fringe sport. You almost need it, like much like w- how you started off your book, without the push by Burt Bell in your book mm-hmm. and the insistence. I mean, the, you know, you had Burt Bell literally selling tickets on a street <laughs> corner, which I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, but if you know the history of the, of the, uh, you know, you know, the history of the NFL, but anybody who doesn't, I mean, that's the type of guy Burt Bell worked his butt off to mm-hmm. make the sport what it is today. And I could definitely, and I think, without the nfl but without the nfl taking spearheading i don't i think the foot the sport that we love is always going to kind of remain a fringe sport now it'd be nice if you know the chinese you know other than you know the latest news is there's a balloon flying over chinese (laughs) balloon flying back home but if you you know if you know all of a sudden the chinese wanted to be the dominant wanted to you know wanted to be a football power well then the nfl would <laughs> probably right. say you know right. what we need to put a football team over there it's kind of like when the nfl yeah. uh when the cfl decided they wanted to expand south the next thing you know you know the nfl's back in baltimore so um mm-hmm. 
but without the NFL taking taking charge and, and spearheading an effort in Europe, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, they're talking about it, but I'm still trying to figure out the logistics and and making just. It's hard to make one team work, but you know, obviously, the University of Hawaii is able to make things work for right. playing in the whack, but that's one college team. How do you make a whole division? And it's just the logistics involved. And obviously, you know, we don't have supersonic transports anymore. So that it's, so what do you think? What, what, where do you see gridiron football going, say in the next 10 years? You know, from what I've heard and and talking to my friends in in Denmark, um, well, so first of all, the NFL question, and and then I'll say the sort of more grassroots European. Yeah. It seems to me that, it possibly would have to be a division of four and then, you know, they're playing their away games on the East coast of, of America. And, you know, that way they're, they've got their league games, you know, um, within Europe. And then obviously there's still be some travel to, to the U S but, you know, it would be, it would be interesting and it would be challenging, you know, what's, what's a free agent going to be like, or is someone going to hold out if they have to play there, you know, right. a high draft pick. I mean, there's, all kinds of issues um, like that, but yeah, it seems like to, to put one team there, you know, maybe that's how they'll test it out. But um, then you have, you have no central, you know, center of operations for that team over there. It's just, it's gotta be eight or nine away games making that trip every year, which is a little tough. Um, Right. As as far as, you know, I said earlier about the money. um, That's the interesting part about it. Um, so, and I, I tried to get some of this into the book as well, but, you know, the way the soccer leagues are working over there, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a much more, um, you know, pure think or swim capitalistic thing. The top things get to the top divisions, the top teams, and, uh, and they make the most money and they outbid everyone for the best players. And some of those teams that, you know, don't have the money or have a bad year, they get relegated their finances don't work. They drop like a stone to the fifth division or something. Right. Now that's, it's kind of cool promotion and relegation, but even for the top European teams, I mean, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy structure, um, but it works because it's so popular. There's so much money going into it. You know, right. the problem that I saw, and I don't know how widespread that is, but I felt like the leagues over there, sort of tried to use that same system promotion relegation sort of ends up sort of favoring the top teams um, too much. And what would happen is all the talent and players would get concentrated on a, on a few teams. Teams would get promoted to the top level and they'd get massacred. What happens when they get massacred, they drop down, people quit. It's not good for the sport. So and I've talked to uh, my friends over there and, you know, I've looked up online and stuff. When I, when I first got over there, the Danish league, for example, the top flight had eight or 10 teams in it last year, they had four because no one wants to go on the, up there and get murdered. That's not good for the sport. Right. So, you know, can there be a movement of people and teams to, to get the more American model, which ironically is the more like planned economy thing where, this is, you know, this is the club. The teams are in there. We're all going to kind of help each other out, make sure we're all healthy. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's the way, and, and you know, it's been really smart about this. Um, I should say as background too, when I did that semester in Copenhagen of law school, I actually took a class on uh, on sports law. So this is kind of this echoed by some uh, people who are actually practicing sports law in Europe. The, the league they pointed to as being a real success was actually the MLS in America because they were so smart in the way they centrally planned things. Oh yeah. Um, making yeah. sure teams were not outstanding each other. And look right. at them. I mean, this, basically a fringe sport in America. It's still obviously not one of the big sports, but as far as I know, it's pretty healthy. It's going on, uh, you know, a long time now. The level of play is is solid. I mean, it's obviously not the Premier League, but it kind of, I feel like it needs to be a sea change like that. And then, but you know, the, the more difficult thing is just the fact that, you know, as I said earlier, we know football in America as anyone can play, you know, Right. Um, and really, we know the NFL is made up of all different demographics, you know, uh, social backgrounds, whatever you want to say. Um, in Europe, it's probably more skewed, you know, there, there needs to be money from somewhere to get the equipment, you know? Right. Um, so, and, and the communes and the government, it does help out somewhat, but it's tough in a sport that requires so much equipment for it to ever really get ingrained, you know, um, throughout the country with, without a little more of that support and structure to, to, to just get the, just get the equipment basically. Um, so uh, we'll hope, uh, I think the EFL, it sounds like a good start because my impression is they're doing some of those things I talked about, you know, it's, yeah. they've chosen the teams that are in it those teams are in it. I know they're adding some teams, but promotion and relegation in a fringe sport may not be the best idea. It seems like that's not the route they're going. Right. um, Right. Yeah. But as you can tell too, I I know you touched on a little bit, but um, you know, I've been talking about the, uh, the sort of comparisons to the economic structures and stuff. And you know, that, that really was sort of a part of the point too, is to, um, to sort of talk about, the different ways of developing talent. I know um, you mentioned it earlier, but you know, the, the American structure and the way it's sort of, um, you know, it develops sort of organically, you know, the, the players that work the hardest and uh, the coaches that are the most creative sort of rise to the top and, and all that um, to an extent anyways, whereas, you know, hypothetically you could have this Soviet system that's more planned and, uh, sort of mirroring their political philosophy and then you know what would happen if that actually met you know that's kind of right. part of the idea <laughs> well um, and it yeah and it's it's you know when you again history is always our guide and everything but if you know you look at how the soviet union and, and your and the universe that you created did it it's you know i mean it's almost it, you know, that's, that's kind of the goal. It's like make everything, it's kind of like here in Japan. I mean, Japan, obviously American football in Japan is a very much a fringe sport. And I know we talked about mm-hmm. that right before we hit the record button. Um, but there is a, there, there is a, a I, I want to say thriving college scene because mm-hmm. um, they, they play football, obviously at the college level here. Um, I was at the the national championship. God, it was two months ago now. Um, but unfortunately, you've got the. It goes back to what you said about competition. 
kind of like, you know, the same teams are always dominating. And here in Japan, mm-hmm. not only at the college level and, you know, the KG fighters are national champions. I've lost count how many national champions, you know, they're like the Alabama of Japan. Um, but right. then at the pro at the X, at the X league level, which is not a professional league in the sense that we all are familiar with, whether, you know, from, you know, the NFL and the CFL, um, it's a semi-pro league with your foreign players being brought in or being paid a salary, but vast majority of the guys on that roster are not, I mean, they're semi, they, they work a day job. Um, and it's very much, it reminds me of the way football used to be. And, 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 you know, long before you and I came along back during say the twenties and the thirties, you know, you know, this, you know, nobody was getting rich, rich playing football. Um, but here, but again, it goes back to competition at the X league, you know, it's every year. It's Panasonic or Fujitsu, maybe Obic thrown in, and then you got the rest of the league. And it, you know, it's so in order to really like going back to what you said to really make football gridiron football work, there's got to be parity. There's got to be right. Everybody's got everybody. You know, everybody can't get. You know, the top teams just can't keep blowing everybody out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you you lose players that way, and. Uh, you well, know, you lose you, interest. You, you lose interest that way, absolutely. And uh, I said, it, it, you know, I feel like the whole European soccer thing, it obviously works, but I, I feel like it doesn't work because the system is great. It, uh, right. It works because people love it. And, and I'll say also for the record, I, I do like the idea of promotion and relegation. I just think maybe there's a way to do it that um, is a little bit less crushing. Um, especially right. in the fringe sports. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, was, I was a long, you know, I'm a big basketball fan, too. I was a long-time uh, Warriors fan, and I know right now this seems crazy, but for most of my childhood, that was a very depressing thing. So oh, yeah. We I would remember the – Hey, <laughs> maybe, maybe they should have been relegated at some point, you know? <laughs> well, being, um, a, being a Cub fan up. and growing up with the Cubs, I, I definitely understand. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh but they're even talking you know there's word here the high schools around here they're thinking about some kind of a promotion and relegation thing just because um you know so I, I actually don't think it's uh just limited to europe but um it, even in america you're seeing these often it's the private schools but the football factories i think have just taken things to another level just absolutely destroy other teams and yeah. um and 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 that's happening in a lot of areas where the population is not as big. And what you're getting at is these lesser schools that are either struggling to field a team, and um, you know, and then you're just you're going to lose players. Obviously, it's going to be a problem in, in in the U.S. But you know, I I am aware they're thinking about that. Like, hey, let's separate this a little more. Let's have these powerhouses play each other. Let's right. have uh, the also Rams. You know play against each other so they're not they're not getting their uh, heads kicked in every week (laughs) well i mean interesting (laughs) you're in you're out there in california i'm from illinois and so you got the class system so that's one way of addressing it all but yeah it's and then you've got the other thing too that i don't know how it is in california but back home in illinois it's like um you know you've got eight-man football now the leagues are starting six-man football i mean six-man football it's a fascinating sport and it's pretty much played down mm-hmm. in Texas. Um, 
yeah so for but in the states that's you know we were gridiron football is built in the really in the dna so you know the question Mm -hmm. is is how do you get how do you plant really plant that long-term seed over in europe um you know in japan it 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 is played here but it is such a fringe sport but you know you've got you know you've got i mean i saw listen i saw when i went to koshin stadium two months ago and Mm -hmm. i saw waseda and kg play for the national championship they're damn good damn good football i mean so these kids can play um yeah it's that but then after i got here and i got here in november so i mean I've been here many, many times over the course of the last 30 years. So, so for me, it, the adjustment, you know, I haven't had the culture shock that most people have when they first come to, you know, live someplace. I've been married to the same woman for 26 years who's Japanese. So I'm fully prepped going in when I got here, but as I'm sitting there, I'm like, and I've always known this, it's like, man, Sundays are kind of dead around during the autumn. It's like, <laughs> And I'm, you know, I compare it back to, I mean, let's face it, our weekends in autumn revolve around, first of all, nobody back in America has a wedding during the autumn on a Sunday. That's (laughs) just, that's one of those unspoken (laughs) rules. Saturday, you can kind of get, but Sunday wedding, ooh, no, you know, I had that come up. It's like, wait a minute, minute, that's, that's not right. Why? Well, it's football. It's you just don't do that. But here it's such a, it's like, you know, thank God for the X League here. Cause I mean, but the X League, you know, is not on TV. Um, you know, when, when the X League is on TV, it's the championship game. Fortunately, I was able to watch the X League championship on, on TV here. And um, <clears throat> so there is some coverage, but again, it goes back to what we're saying. Well, how do you make the sport grow? Well, obviously media TV contracts, yeah. But then, as we're talking here, I'm pulling up here the the ELF's uh, website. They've got a Game Pass. So now you've got streaming now is big. So Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, it's I'm curious to see where we're going to be at 10 years. First of all, with all the streaming services, because over here in in Japan, um, listen, as soon as I got off the plane, I think I I got off the plane on a Saturday. And so my first thought was, (laughs) how do I watch the games on Sunday? Cause I knew I was going to be right. jet lagged. So, yeah. but the NFL has set it up, has made it easy for people who love the NFL outside of the United States to not only follow the game and watch the games, but a whole oh, yeah. lot cheaper than what you, what, than the, what, you know, oh, yeah. they're screwing us. It's a in great, States it's for. a great service. Yeah. Yeah. I had that when I was living over there. Uh, yeah. That international game, game pass. I'm awesome. like, nice. And then if you know how to work the VPN, now college is tricky outside of the states yeah. so. um right. but i i figured out i figured out how to espn plus and the vpn I'm, you know i'm still learning so i've got a whole yeah. you know before next season by next season if depending i, I might be the go-to guy for a lot of this stuff because I think <laughs> it's like um gotcha, and i'm when yeah. i when i have a, a vpn question i've got a guy you know so okay. um but to be able to watch the game. So again, it boils down to, I think exposure, but I think we live in an age now where American football is not as foreign as it used to be. Oh yeah, no, it's not. And, um, and I, I agree with you. And I, I think, you know, maybe taking a long view and um, the streaming will be big, but I'm thinking also, you know, somewhat 
this actually gets back to some of those ideas I put in the book. You know, you can sort of turn turn back the clock on them. Let's stream the games. Not expensive. You know, people can watch them right. and, and have access to them. But you know, let's not charge an entrance fee to this fringe sport. You know, maybe instead of trying to gouge the you know 100 friends and family who want to watch the game, get a local DJ to play. Let everyone in for free. Make right. it a good time, you know, and then maybe when people are there, you know, drinking their beer and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the DJ that's their friend is playing, you know, they notice the game, maybe they get into it a little bit, brings a little more right. excitement, you know, um, just thinking of creative things instead of like, um, you know, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta charge a hundred kroner to get in this game uh, because, you know, we're the top league and that's what it's going to be like, uh, let's just think out of the box creatively to, uh, to figure out ways to just get people interested. That's going to pay off the long, long-term benefit. And, and yeah. acknowledging that this is not going to unseat soccer, you know, that also shouldn't be the goal. But like we talked about MLS, let's just try to grow this really smart, um, you know, make a plan. Uh, and then, you know, over the course of 10, 20 years, um, get a foothold. Right. So, well, and a lot of things you know, that that's we're talking kind of my about. Idea. Yeah, and a lot of things we're talking about too. I mean, not how much you follow the CFL, but you know, it's like what you were saying about having bands come in and 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 get people. I mean, sometimes you know, charge people a buck or five bucks for a right. seat. You got the CFL. CFL is dying because they, um, to me, they've completely lost their way in terms of. I mean, their fan base is average age in their fan base is in their fifties now. And so they're really? not attracting the younger fans. Now, soccer is huge up there. And, you know, the, the mm-hmm. MLS teams up there are drawing much better crowds um, mm-hmm. than any of the CFL teams. I mean, they're trying to – my favorite team is, yeah. is, is British Columbia. And they've got a new owner that's come in. It's like, you know what, we got to fix this. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you've got yeah. – up there you've got nine owners that aren't on the same page, and you've got – I didn't even say the words XFL and I don't even want to because <laughs> the, the XFL conspiracy nuts are like, Oh yeah, they're going to buy the, the rock is going to do. Yeah. I don't know. The rock could not, right. make, could the rock could not restore the Snyderverse. Therefore I've kind of lost hope that he can make spring football work. And you and I both know <laughs> spring football has never worked. No, that's a big challenge, but um, you know, it's interesting you bring up the CFL. I haven't followed it that much. I was I was somewhat aware of it, but yeah, I totally agree. When you see cause I, the CFL has been so established there for a while, for for a long time, and um, my impression was that it was more popular than soccer. Is that correct? Uh, or, no. Am, am I, no, it's am I, it's no. it's it has lost ground. It is lost ground it's because like, well, that, that's my point. Is that these. It, you can sort of make a, a power rankings for sports and over time they do change. I mean, obviously boxing in the U S was massive at some point, you know, and um, it's a symptom of mismanagement. Uh, you know, I, I think about it too um, with the baseball out here, the giants and the A's, like it's a big rivalry as you can imagine. Um, and now the giants are sort of the, the rich fancy team, but go back to 1990 or whatever, the, the A's were the, the powerhouse that had the great, you know, newer stadium. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't want to spend the money in, in the right ways, and now it's completely flipped. So uh, that's, that's too bad to hear, though. CFL is a fun game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, well, listen, Keegan, on that note, got to wrap it up here. So before I let you go here, um, and obviously stay on the line after we, we hit the, hit the stop button and we'll talk a little bit more bef before I let you go. Um, let everybody know where they can a find you. I know you got a website, um, also find your two books and how they can, how they can read them. Yeah. So the, uh, the books are on Amazon. It's gridiron cup, 1982. Uh, and offensive football systems. Uh, my name is Keegan Dresso. Um, and yeah, so I mean, that's the easiest way to get the books. Um, I do have a website. I haven't uh, updated it in a long time. Um, that is totalamericanfootball.com. So yeah, totalamericanfootball.com, just uh, spelled the way it sounds. Um, so, you know, I, I should uh, increase my engagement here on, on Twitter and everything. Um, trying to think of different ways to get the looks, uh, the links out. Um, but yeah, if you search on Amazon, um, you should be able to get to those, to get to those books. And, um, you know, uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to buy them and leave a download, uh, leave a review, that would be huge. Uh, obviously kind of word of mouth is the only way these things are going to get out. Um, yeah. So as I said, I kind of built this for, for people like myself who are really into the history and, um, you know, if you, if you think that appeals to you, I think it'll be worth your time and I would appreciate it. Um, and I'm always open to, uh, to chat about these things. <laughs> cool. And it, you know, I mean, you're, I mean, you're on the sports history network. So, I mean, your book was, you know, it's, it's alternate history, but it's still history nonetheless in a great, Again, it's a great what if it, 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 it just, you know, I read it, it started reading it and I was just hooked. I was, I had my Kindle just, <laughs> you know, knocked, well, knocked I'm it so out. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Knocked it out. I know, you know if um, I can get to one person that really loves it. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, it's a, um, it, it's more than football. It's history. It's, it's cold war. Um, and, you know, like I said, man, you started off talking about Burt Bell and, and it's a plaus and it's a plausible alternate history. So, um, much like, uh, you know, you. as I said, said earlier, it's, 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 it's the sports equivalent of for all mankind. So that's, that, <laughs> that's, that's the highest compliment I can, I can, I can make because that is my favorite show. And if you wow. haven't seen it yet, you got to watch it. And then once you, you know, once you get through season three, it's like, yeah, now I know what he's talking about. Now I know what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> so do you have anything, anything in the works coming up or is it, I mean, I know you've got other, you've got a life outside of football and everything. So I imagine you're pretty yeah. busy <laughs> raising, raising, yeah, you doing know, what I, you got to do to. <laughs> I, I've not been, uh, not been writing that much lately. Yeah. It's been busy with work and everything. I would love to get back into it though. So, um, you know, if, if some of these things, uh, gain some traction, maybe I will be able to get back into it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about, I went, you know, obviously went back and read it a little bit, uh, again, um, before this interview and, you know, there's some things I, could have changed or maybe would have changed, but I, I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's interesting too. You mentioned the political stuff and now not to get into a whole nother conversation. We're about to sign off, but I, I feel like some of the cold war stuff and the ending of it. And the, um, I think it plays into some of the things that we're seeing right now, you know, which is oh, yeah. a whole nother, you know, 
uh, negative thought, but it's interesting having written it, written it 10 years ago. And I think there's an undercurrent of like, there's an uncertainty awaiting a lot of people, you know, in this, in this sort of conflict. And um, obviously none of it is written there, but we've, uh, we've seen a lot of that play out in a, in negative fashion (laughs) recently. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you got, you do set yourself up for a good sequel. So, I mean, um, (laughs) you know, you set yourself up for a good sequel and obviously, you know, with what's going, I mean, yeah, the, I got, the I got one the Rocky IV character in there on the Soviet Union, you know, there's all all kinds of the uh the references in there, so it's uh yeah. it's built for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, listen, hey everybody, hey, thank you very much for for sitting down with me today and for everybody out there listening, thank you very much for tuning in. I know it's been a long 10 months. Um but like I said, you know, my and the reason for the delay has been me, not Scott. Um, between retiring, super stressful job, packing up the house. That's a whole nother, that's a a novel unto itself, trying to sell the house in Chicago, um, and then making the big move and then settling in. So I am finally set down. This is my first interview, um, in my, in my office with all my football helmets behind me and all my, you know, the mini helmets are still in boxes, but uh those are going to be coming out soon but uh yeah no i'm finally in my mind i am fully settled in japan so with that said hey thank you very much everybody for joining keegan and i um and please go out find keegan's book on amazon um and if you have kindle unlimited it's you know it's right there um i reread it again before we did this interview and uh believe me it is it is definitely a joy to read. And um, if, like I said, if you've watched the TV show for all mankind, this is the sports equivalent of it. So thank you very much for tuning in and we shall be talking to you soon.
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.